Hello, RP people, and welcome back to another episode of Roleplaying as Smart People, the podcast where we pretend to know what we're talking about when it comes to all things tabletop. My name is Santa, and thanks for tuning in. Joining me, I got Nagi. Hey. Hello. Hello there. Nice to meet you. Uh, Nagi has joined me to talk about one of his uh, his upcoming game that's coming out in October. But before we get to that, uh, I have a little bit of a question for you. And yes. by the way, I know I talk quickly. I'll try and slow down. <laughs> <laughs> no worries. Uh, so tell me a little bit about your tabletop history. How did you get into the hobby? Yeah, um, well, I started when I was 12, and I first went into, like, the local gaming store and bought my first, uh, D&D 3.5 book, and then Ooh. the, uh, the, the store owner actually ran, um, our first, like, D&D campaign for me and the other, the other kids that were there, and I felt, you know, really, like, grown up at the time because technically uh store policy was that if you were under 13 you had to be in there with adult but we were 12 but we were <laughs> cool kids you know so felt really <laughs> uh really cool for that <laughs> but yeah it was mostly like really cut my teeth on 3.5 um and for for a few years and then we sort of like transitioned into like um hackmaster i don't know if you're familiar with that taskmaster uh, no, Hackmaster. Hackmaster. Yeah, H A C K no. Master. It's basically a parody of like first ed and second ed D and D. Like it's a whole system that actually works, but it's like like a giant parody system. Um, I I have no idea if it's still around even, but like we played a lot in that. We played a lot of uh the Savage World system, and that's kind of the system we moved over over to and like ran a lot of campaigns in because it's like a universal system and very easy to run and our sort of ongoing uh like remorphous gaming group were all kind of just knew the rules to that so we would just like mm -hmm. build campaigns and settings in that thing oh nice yeah i'm definitely uh definitely very familiar with savage world and many of its settings so yeah we got a lot of common ground on that one <laughs> <laughs> Um, out of, out of curiosity, uh, did you have a favorite, uh, setting for Savage? Um, we played a little bit of Deadlands. Um, I don't think we finished the campaign, but it was pretty early on. We just were, there was like a, there was like, you know, kind of like a, a few of us in the group that were like kind of the forever DMs. Um, and so <laughs> we basically like built our own, uh, campaign settings. Uh, there was actually, um, do you know Evernight? Evernight. Uh, is that the one where it's pitch black, frozen? No, not frozen. I'm not sure. It's 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 like it's like dark fantasy kind of, and there's like a a big twist that I won't spoil. But it's like yeah. Yes, it's, it's, I know which one you're talking about. I yeah, know yeah, which yeah. One you're about, yes. So we we played through Evernight, and I think there was a sequel campaign, but um, we we played through a lot of that, and like eventually we just started doing our own thing. There was a really, really cool campaign setting that my friend cooked up, which was basically like, I, I know that nowadays there's like a, at least a couple of games that kind of do the same thing, but you know, this was like 15 years ago. Yeah. Um, it was basically like, um, like you are all discarded toys, sort of like, you know, post-apocalyptic toy story. And we basically <laughs> were like trying to fend for ourselves in this giant junkyard, um, which was just like a really cool. And he just, he, he, he had so many, really cool interesting like concepts that revolved around that that's actually a really cool premise yeah i like that that's, that's actually really cool yeah i played a um a like stuffed voodoo doll that 
um, basically <laughs> had one one part of you know like a giant like kind of sheer scissors like had one of those like a blade and basically held it by sticking it all the way through him like kind of like a sheath. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, that's a that's a very actually unique premise. Yeah, that would, I saw that'd be a fun game to play in. Yeah, I, I did see recently there there was a game I, I didn't I didn't like take a look in under the cover, but it looked it looked like it was a very much the same kind of concept of like yep. you're playing, you know, like toys that are alive and like doing stuff like that. But I, I have no idea what the what the rules were based on or whatever. Oh, nice. One th- one thing I always liked about Savage is how you can um you can almost blend different settings together to create new settings just by the different rule books. Absolutely, yeah. I always thought it was neat. I have um one of uh my friends he um he designed uh for Savage uh Task Force Raven. Mm-hmm. And then I also know the guy who created it. It's this fun game. It's uh more kids based but dust bunnies. Mm-hmm. And I, I kept on bugging him about combining both of them and running a running a camp for campaign uh taking this heavily military sim for suede and dust bunnies which is meant for kids and making task force raisin uh, <laughs> and that that idea just annoyed the hell out of them and i loved <laughs> doing it but <laughs> amazing oh yeah but anyways um a little bit more on topic right now so your game is called burn away yes uh you've told me you've given me a description of it but i don't think i would be able to best describe it because it's very unique would you be able to mm-hmm. give me like what 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 exactly is it like yeah please... um so basically like i wish i had like a bit more concise elevator pitch because there's kind of like a lot of moving <laughs> parts but the concept is that it is a kind of you know possible dystopian near future and uh in this in this kind of like near future there are these things called embergeists which are basically mm-hmm spirits whose whatever grudges or lingering emotions that are tying them to this world are so powerful that it literally combusts their ectoplasm. So they're basically flaming ghosts, which of course causes a house fire or a fire wherever they're haunting. Um, And obviously, you know, normal firefighters can deal with the fire, but they can't deal with the malicious spirit that's rampaging around. Um, (laughs) They're, you know, like normal firefighters, they're they're too valuable for that. They need somebody who, you know, is a bit more expendable to deal with the (laughs) to deal with the the Embergeists. So basically, Burnaways are a privately contracted more or less like a uh, mercenary group that yeah. uh, some somebody who has, you know, assets within the building or the building itself will basically hire to come and um, they might ask them to like remove the, the Ember guys. They might ask them to just extract some of the assets. Um, basically there'll be kind of like a different thing that they'll be asked to do. But the crux of the game is as Burnaways you have to make very hard decisions in uh, a lot of different moments. So, you know, there might be a situation where, oh, there's a victim inside the uh, the building, but, you know, there's also an asset that you are required to ret- retrieve. Do you save the person, you know, but then don't get paid for trying to save the asset? Um, because generally a lot of burnaways are, you know, running against very hard financial situations, you know, and when you 
encounter the the geist itself do you attempt to just exercise it and try and make sure that it's destroyed completely or do you try to figure out you know what emotions are you know like basically containing it in this world and what emotions are chaining it here and can you find a way to basically reason with this thing and make it like you know kind of leave on its own terms so it's a it's a game that is based around difficult decisions it's a game based around um confronting and processing grief um and it's also a game that's like can be very tactical and uh sort of like a puzzle box if the puzzle box was always on fire <laughs> I, I like how, I like your final uh, little part there. That that <laughs> that you you're right. There is a lot of moving parts there. Yes. And now you you told me uh, that this is using a custom setting yeah. and or not setting a system. Yes. And from you describing that, I could see why you need a custom. So, <laughs> it, did you originally think about using a pre-existing one, or did you kind of realize off the hop that you kind of needed to build your own? I well, you know, the, I mean, the the reason why I do TTRPG design is because I just like designing systems. That's yeah. what I like to do. So, like, I, it, using a pre-designed system never really crossed my mind. I just wanted to. I had this idea, and I just said, "I'm just going to build a system for it. No problem." <laughs> and, um, this system is actually a heavily modified version of a universal system that I've been working on for some time before that. And it's been a it's been a few years since I've it's since I've updated that system. I, I released it as like a free PDF on on my website at some point, but I really need to like actually go back and and do a new edition of that. So this is a heavily modified version of that system but it's it's all sort of in service of being pretty rules light but also having enough kind of tactile crunch there to mm -hmm. kind of satisfy the players who really want to like you know kind of do the tactical thing and like get nitty-gritty and like and like sort of see how far they can push themselves um when they're running against the system and not just sort of in the narrative of it but also because you know, there's a lot of people who just really are narrative first. I wanna, I yeah. wanna give them something to to chew on as well. Okay, so are is um, it sounds like you do have a lot of narrative uh, elements to it. Mm -hmm. uh, when it comes to, I hate to say combat because it seems like combat, even though it is a thing, it doesn't mm -hmm. seem like it's going to be the main focus. Uh, yes. Did you kind of create it to be mostly narrative or to use an actual tabletop with minis? Um, it can definitely be used as a as a pretty traditional tabletop and minis. Um, it's mm -hmm. not it's not based on a grid system. So basically, the main part of the the session you'll play is like your characters are in the location that you know it's a burning building or whatnot, and um, each each kind of like section will be like a different area or room of the building. Um, so basically, you do things in an area, and then if you want mm -hmm. to move, you move between areas. So it's like if you're in an area, generally, unless it's very big, you can kind of move anywhere you need to within an area. So it's not about, you know, oh, what's this five foot square and that five foot square kind of thing. Um, oh, OK, I, I get you. I get you. No, yes. That makes sense. That, I think that would work fantastic with what you've kind of described. Um, so it, it, it sounds like from your elevator pitch and all that, it sounds like a really kind of unique game. Um, by any chance, do you have any stories from playtesting that you mm. really want to highlight? Um, 
boy, it's been it's been a little while since I've run my my play tests. Um, but I, I it mostly like I really love the concepts already that like my players were coming up with their for their mm-hmm. characters, and so like. I, I I'm not gonna remember all the details correctly, oh, yeah, but yeah, like of course. the my my three players, um, one of them, so so to to kind of give a bit of context, um, there aren't any like classes, there aren't any set classes in this game. But what I do do in the rules is give this concept of uh, positions within a brigade. So it's like here's a general role that your character can fill, and you can build your character to be good at this role. You don't have to, but like. If you want to have a balanced team, it's recommended, you know. Um, so the three rules are protector, runner, and speaker. Um, and a speaker is basically someone who is charismatic, who either is maybe the one who confronts the Embergeist, or is the one who is trying to convince victims to leave with them or do something else like that. They're the talky person. Um, and I remember that, like, the speaker that my that one of my party that one of my players built was like someone who at one point had been possessed by an embergeist and mm-hmm. like had this kind of weird spirit sense and like their their big motivation was like trying to like come to terms with how how their like mind and soul had been changed by this possession and it was like such a cool concept i didn't have you know rules for it at the time but i was like hell yes like go for it i really want to see you explore this concept because i I never thought about that but i'm i'm all for building you know my systems my rules to just encourage players to like you know come up with these concepts that it's like cool yeah let's roll with it and see what happens that's 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 actually really cool so i i love the fact that it's a classless system that's always like Mm. um, 10 bonus points for me whenever I see a system that uh, contributes to that. It So when you're actually going against these, uh, sorry, em, em, Embergeists. Embergeists. Yeah. Okay, Embergeists. Okay, good. Uh, when you're going against these Embergeists, how exactly do you vanquish them? Because mm. you, you were mentioning how they're, you're talking to them. Are you supposed yep. to get them through their grief, or is there more of like a uh, blunt force kind of method. <laughs> yeah, so um the 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 main decision point when you're dealing with embergeists is do you want to exercise them or do you want to placate them? Um those are kind of the two main paths. Um and so uh embergeists have a have a value called resolve. Um and basically whether you try to exercise them, whether you try to placate them, you're going to be basically rolling checks against their resolve. Um, so the, the most important part is that like, if you try to exercise the Embergeist and you fail, uh, it will be much more resistant to then you trying to placate it because it's like, I just tried to like forcefully <laughs> send you away, but do you want to talk about it? You know? <laughs> uh, so that doesn't really fly too well. Mm. Um, but it's, uh, so yeah, so basically there's the resolve mechanic or yeah, the Embergeist's resolve and, um, Basically, if you want to exercise it, you kind of have to some have some sort of sanctified symbol. Um, you know, I, I don't specify anything because I don't want to like I don't want to like accidentally misrepresent anybody's religion in terms of like, you know, it's like, oh, what what can be used to like exercise a ghost or what can't. Right. I leave that up to the players. Um, but um, 
that is more of a brute force method. And it's like, if you do that, the Ember Geist is going to be much more likely to, to be, you know, react violently to you. Um, however, if you want to try to placate it, if that involves basically going around and doing a bit of detective work where you try to find the signs uh, that they're called are planted around the the areas. And if you can use these signs and basically the players can try and use these signs to figure out who this Embergeist was in life and what their motives were. And once you figure out the Embergeist's motive, then you can use that to try and placate them and ideally make it go away without getting violent and kind of like escalating the situation. Oh, okay. All while the, while the building is burning down? Yes, while the building is burning down, <laughs> which is another trick. It, it's it's kind of neat because it's almost like because a lot of games you you can't really put. I find you can't really set up a sense of urgency just because mm-hmm. most situations like you know it's like oh go fight the goblins over here in this cave, while we're just gonna be chilling here. Uh, but in your game, there's like no matter what area in whether you're trying to placate them, whether you're trying to forcefully remove them from the situation or whatever. You're always going to be, I guess, in a burning building. So you right. almost have to rush around. Uh, how were you able to capture that kind of sense of urgency and time within your game? Yeah. So there is a um, there is a function called the combustion table, uh, and basically, uh, it doubles. It sort of doubles as the as the map. Like you can the 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 story the story guy can basically draw the map the of the different areas on the combustion table itself, and it is basically like a shared document between all the players. Um, but with the combustion table, uh, it has a couple different values. One of which is basically how fast the location is burning and how powerfully it's burning, how powerful <laughs> the fire is. So basically, every X number of rounds, um, the players check the combustion table and make some die rolls. And every single area of the location has basically like structure points or hit points. And um, you basically, the, the strength of the fire determines how many of those, hit, those structure points are lost each time the table is checked. And then you also determine how fast the fire keeps spreading. Um, and that's, and that, that'll determine how, how, how many rounds you take before you check the combustion table. So if you want to slow that process down, you also have to take some time to fight the fire. So, but it's like, do you, do you take time to fight the fire and less time saving people and dealing with the Ember Geist? That's kind of where you have to make those choices. Um, and with, if for example, a room loses all of its structure points, it's gone. It collapses. If yeah. you're in there, that's really bad for you. <laughs> that's that. That's actually a really neat mechanic. Because I, I, you you don't ever see like fire as a core component of a game. Like, of course, you mm. know, there's fire spells, everything like that. But it sounds like you've actually figured out how to mechanically gamify the fire, which really adds to your setting and i really gotta say i really really like that concept i really like that idea <laughs> thank you yeah I, I mean i i hope it i hope it continues to work as well as it did in play testing <laughs> um yeah i mean if we if we are able to fund then we're definitely gonna like one of one of our our kind of like um backer rewards is getting to also like do close beta play test of the game as well so we'll get more data and make sure that it it works it well in all circumstances Nice. So, 
another part of the game that I just I'm just kind of picking up as yeah, you're yeah. talking. It, it it sounds like I'm not too sure if I'm reading this one on the or not, but it sounds like your game is meant to be a little bit more deadly than a standard game. Am I right to assume that? Yeah. So basically the 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 overall concept of being a burnaway is that <laughs> there's only two ways out of this job and it's death or retirement you know so yeah. <laughs> um retirement is up to you you know it's it's you, you kind of once you've built your character you kind of you kind of have to have this choice to make of like are they a character who you know, knows when to call it quits, right? You know, maybe they will suffer a permanent injury on a mission. It's like, all right, you know, I'm I'm done. Yeah. Um, but are they the kind of character that's just like, no, I I have, you know, I have something I want to do no matter what. It's like, you know, I will save this person even if even means dying. I will exercise this ember guys even if it means I don't get out alive. Um, so it's kind of up to the player in that case of deciding like you know what their character is willing to do um you know if it's just like no nah, i'm i'm dying on the job you know <laughs> um so obviously this this kind of leads to a situation where it's very unlikely you're going to have your character for you know the long haul as you might have a D&D &D character or something else like that characters in this in this game they will definitely grow narratively they'll grow in terms of being a character and change yeah. But mechanically, I they do something that I like to call leveling down, <laughs> um, where they basically start, mechanically speaking, the strongest they will ever be. And every single session that they go into, every single mission that they go into, there is always a chance that they will suffer a permanent debilitating injury or something mm -hmm. will happen where their stats are reduced and they they have something that they just can't, you know, will will permanently damage them. And it's like, well, do I do I, you know, retire or do I just keep going with this and, and see how far I can go? But at some point, they're just not going to be able to go on anymore. That that's a very interesting. I like so you're you're saying that pretty much they start off at the best, like at their highest level and mm -hmm. just through gameplay they end up getting knocked down and they become a little bit worse. They become a little bit more jaded. They become a little bit less emotional. So almost that, huh? Sorry. I'm just trying to work through my thoughts here. Cause that, <laughs> so, so, so your game is actually built around making the character like not necessarily worse, but mm -hmm. by really kind of almost putting them through, uh, let's say almost how a normal person would react to these kind of situations or how they would actually, the damages that they would suffer both mentally and physically exactly. and how they would come out on the other side. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's, oh. it's yeah, I, I think it's an interesting thing to think about because when you think about, you know, a role-playing game character, there's just sort of this expectation that they're going to get stronger over time. Right. But it's it's a thing of like well that that's not quite the story that's being told here you know this this game is an opportunity to tell a story about a character and it kind of you know goes down the the slightly more you know darker viewpoint of like you know sometimes characters don't get the chance to get better you know sometimes they <laughs> they, they 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 do have these situations where you know they they have to confront grief and loss and and things like that but I think it's a, a very interesting opportunity to to experience that and to figure out what kind of stories you can tell uh, with those, you know, I mean, pretty heavy themes. But 
that's kind of only half of what this game is supposed to be about. You know, the the tagline is uh, a TTRPG about loss and hope from the ashes. So the idea is that, you know, when you confront loss, what can you also gain from it? You know, um, once you've encountered, you know, some very difficult pain or some very challenging parts of your life, how does that change you for better or for worse? You know, I think that, you know, a lot of players can probably have relatable periods of, you know, moments in their own lives where they can kind of draw from this and and kind of, I don't know, just like work through through work through those experiences and and kind of like apply them to to a more external factor. That that's actually really, I I, huh, you're really making like I you're hitting a lot of like check boxes with me right now because you're approaching <laughs> with this game it sounds like you're approaching it from a very unique aspect and you're really trying to tell a story and get your players to tell story and you can tell even from you talking that it is definitely narrative well not necessarily narrative first but story first where mm-hmm. the story is the most important aspect of it um so especially since the characters themselves like um, they are somewhat quote-unquote temporary mm-hmm. uh, how long do you think a, a traditional campaign with the same characters would last do you think it's uh 10 plus or do you think it, uh, it's more better for more condensed so like stories it's um I, I we we haven't playtested enough to actually know how long the characters would last. <laughs> I'm I'm sort of just extrapolating off the the math of the system that I've done. I I think that the most accurate answer would be it's sort of up to the story guide and the players how kind of intense they want that factor to be. Because in you know interestingly interestingly enough when I when I went did my playtests with my you know with my friend groups back a while ago now. Um, they just got really attached to their characters and I think they sort of wanted to see them grow. And that's a, that's, that's kind of like one of the big tricky points of that I had when I was designing the system is that it's like, there is this natural desire to want to see your characters get stronger. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's like, who am I to deny that, that desire in players? Right. But also there's this you know there's this thing that i'm that i'm like well you know if you want to have players that if you want to have characters that grow there's there's literally almost every other rpg out there that you can they can do that with but so i i like i really do want to kind of stick to the identity of this game of like this is kind of one of the only games that you can play where you experience this very different um type of character change and although i did i did sort of after that experience of, of seeing that, I did actually re- rework the the rules a little bit where it's like, it's not quite so focused on like, you know, very painful character, like decay and more just mm-hmm. about like change, you know, like I really want to, I really want people to focus on how these characters are changing and yeah. like what that story is for the character. I, I, re- I, I really like your response right there. That was actually really well done i i honestly like i i personally i prefer uh like shorter campaigns just because i mm-hmm. find you can tell a very good clean story and your game is 
it, it sounds fantastic for like, let's say for an example of doing like five to seven sessions where almost, yes. almost like a season where at the end of it, you have this really well thought out story where it's like you could potentially continue or you could have characters retire. Some of them stay and a new team come on. And I, it, it, it would almost like, it would almost be like, almost like an, each one would be like its own little season with own little episodes telling this well-contained story before moving on to the next season. I I really like that. I really like, yeah, that's, that's, that's absolutely what I was going for. I, I, I wanted this to be kind of based around like one shots and short campaigns. And actually if I could uh, discuss one of like the big inspirations for, for this game is um, an anime called witch hunter Robin, which came out in about 2002. Um, and it's for people who haven't seen it, which is like most of the world, because it wasn't <laughs> it wasn't exactly a one that a lot of people saw. Um, it's basically the concept is that like um, there are witch hunters and there are witches. And it's like a very like it's a very like early 2000s aesthetic where it's like what I call kind of like retro future punk, where it's like what people what people in the turn of the century thought like the 2020s was going to look like which is basically like more computers but they're really clunky everything's really clunky and very tactile which <laughs> i i love the aesthetic of and that's kind of i'm not very good at describing that but like that's really what the aesthetic i really wanted to have for this game yeah. um but basically so there's there's witches there's witch hunters and there's witches who are basically just people who manifest magical powers for some reason but yeah. the the story follows a group of witch hunters, and they, of course, again being the early two thousands, everyone is long black trench coats. It's it's required. <laughs> it's the uniform. Um, <laughs> I mean, the, the the matrix just wreaked havoc on on this on this decade of pop culture um, <laughs> in a good way. But like, so basically, um, the main character has these witch powers, but it's unclear like. Is she a, like she's a witch, right? Then why isn't she being hunted? Why is she with the witch hunters? Um, and the the story really kind of revolves around exploring why are the witch hunters a thing in the first place? Why are they hunting witches? Also, hey, why did the witches suddenly get taken away by these like creepy faceless dudes into a van and drove drove into the factory? That's probably fine. There's nothing wrong with that, right? <laughs> um, but basically, it's like, you know, as you could probably immediately guess by this, the, the, the description, because this show is not subtle, but it tries to be, which I love, for, which I love about it. But it's it's a it's kind of about like, you know, oh, they're the, every, we call them monsters, but they're just they're, they're people who develop these powers and and, you know, out of their own, you know, th- through no fault of their own. And it's like, well, why are you know why are they why are they hunting them you know what does it mean when witches also become the hunters and there's a lot of just really really great moments in that series about yeah. showing showing sort of like scenes of like guilt and mercy and just like characters making hard decisions about you know is this the right thing to do is this the moral thing to do um and just like really poignant human moments and it's just like that's the thing i really wanted to capture in this game nice no it it sounds like you got um a really neat like concept coming up it it sounds really really well thought out of and it 
as you said, you like you like designing systems, and you can tell that you've put a lot of uh, work into the system in order to really show that this idea, like let this idea shine. So I, I gotta ask, have you while designing the system with the with the setting, did you have any uh, trouble or any hurdles that you needed to uh, get over? And if you hmm. how, how how exactly did you do it? I. Let's see. I mean, there are probably plenty, but which one do I focus on? Um, <laughs> I guess so. When I was, you know, like, like I said, this the the core of the system comes from an earlier system that I built, mm-hmm. and one of the big one of like the big tenets of that universal system was that I wanted it to be a system that you can use any dice with, because simply put, people like rolling dice. <laughs> Um, uh, they do, they do. So I didn't, I didn't want to like, I didn't want to limit people to just using D sixes or D twenty or D fours or whatever else. Like I wanted to, I wanted to let people use whatever dice they wanted because people, you know, there's a lot of people who like to match the dice to their character and maybe they have, you know, their preferred dice that they like to use or something like that. So that's why the very basic system is that. When, whenever you roll a check, um, even numbers are hits and odd numbers are misses, and it's a success-based system, kind of like World of Darkness kind of thing. Yeah. Um, okay. But obviously, every every the the math is retuned so that because obviously any even-sided die will have a fifty percent chance of you know uh, giving a hit. Um, so I sort of had to take that and figure out how I could balance everything around that math. Um, you know, it's like, how many dice should I give character? Should I, like, you know, give characters if I want to make sure that these, you know, these these um, missions are balanced and so that they're not going to just totally tear through them or they're not totally not just going to stand a chance. Mm-hmm. So that was that was a tricky that's a tricky balancing thing. And I'm sure once I actually get into playtesting that I'm going to have to rebalance some things. But I, I feel like because it's so basic that the tweaks will be relatively simple to make. Yeah. You know, it's not, it's not like a, a massive architecture of, of, of design that I'm going to have to like fiddle with. Oh, nice. Well, that doesn't sound too bad. And, uh, is there anything that we may not have uh, talked about that you really want to highlight? Um, I, let's see. I, I, I think I'm mostly just very excited to see what, what kinds of like scenarios um like game like the uh the the story guides are going to come up with once this thing actually mm-hmm. gets into people's hands because the tricky thing is that like when i'm you know when i'm designing this and when i'm first showing it to people i found that i have to kind of be slightly constrained with my with my like design choices in terms of yeah. like the, the sample missions because i want it to be pretty prototypical so people can get an understanding of like what this looks like, you know, I don't want to go too crazy with it. I don't, I don't want to push the boundaries too much because people I think will misconstrue what it's supposed to be. If they just, if this is like the only example they see of it and don't realize it's a sort of like a, you know, a fringe example, but like, I really think that there's a huge amount of like different kinds of stories that can be told. Once you take this very basic concept of Burnaway's Embergeist situation, you know, it's like, Oh, what if you, what if you had an Embergeist that, like, you know, had some memories of who it was before? What if you had, you know, an Embergeist that was, like, you know, could, like, 
possess people what if you had two ember geists in the same in the same you know like situation so i think there's mm -hmm. a ton of extrapolating you can do there and it's like i'm really excited to see what people do with that uh you know that actually you you kind of bring up a good point uh it, it does sound really interesting and i i myself was wondering how exactly like how the stories would play out and uh i think you kind of hit something on a nail on the head that some games don't approach and i'm glad you're doing is sometimes the setting itself can be almost too intimidating for people to start playing mm. and I, I i like your explanation there and i i really liked it because there there is a lot of possibilities for it and even when you're talking about um you know have discourse with uh with uh ever uh ember guys i keep on forgetting the name <laughs> my, my bad uh uh and i i myself was like okay well how would i how would i create and craft a story but i'm glad you're approaching that because like there's been a there's a few rpgs out there that i absolutely love that i think would be brutal to run because i i have mm. no i have no kind of like a frame of where to start like I'm not I'm just going to bring up uh Legends of the Five Rings cuz amazing mm -hmm. setting mm -hmm. but um intimidating as hell to run. Yes. <laughs> let alone play. Yeah, I mean I I I don't know specifically what which if you're thinking of a specific edition but like I I definitely remember back in the back in the good old days of of like <laughs> You know, the early edition is just like, yeah, you had to be willing to like really dig through some source books to like understand how to play those games effectively. Oh, yeah, oh, I, I, I'm more familiar with uh, fourth edition mm -hmm. and that one, too. It's like even just get so much into mannerisms and culture and all that stuff where it's like, OK, I walk into a room. What side do you put your sword down? <laughs> oh, uh, at left side. Oh, he, he hates you now. <laughs> yeah. he, he knows you want to go and fight. Oh, <laughs> do you, are you familiar at all with a, a game called Aces and Eights? Aces and Eights. It sounds very familiar. It is actually um, a game that was made by the same people who did Hackmaster. And it is a wild, like, like it's supposed to be kind of like a, a, a simulation game of, of like Wild West. Kind of think like very, very, very like uh, crunchy Red Dead Redemption kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and like it is a wild game. I, I personally have kind of a soft spot for games that just are way too, like way too crunchy because that's kind of what I grew up on. And I just think messes of games are kind of just fun to look at. But it is a game where literally combat is broken down into tenths of a second. Oh, because, you know, it's like if you get into a if you get into a shootout, it can be decided by who gets their gun up and pointing at the person first. So every single action is broken down to tenths of a second. And it's like the whole the whole the whole like battle is going in slow motion. And like I only played a few sessions with my friends, but it's just like we basically got into a battle as soon as we started. And it was just like, it was so brutal because it ended with like, I got my leg blown off and like, like half of us were bleeding out because you know, that's what happens in the wild west. When you have a gunfight, it's like, it's brutal. Oh, that's funny. And yeah, it's just a it, God. Yeah. That'd be so hard to, 
like you just avoid the that w- that game probably teaches you to avoid combat as much as possible. Yeah, I think I think that's one of the big lessons there. <laughs> <laughs> no, that game sounds kind of interesting. I might take a look. Uh, on a scale of zero to Rollmaster, how difficult do you think that one is, like mechanically? Ooh, um, I, I have never actually played Rollmaster, so I can't I can't give a a, a great um estimate, that, but that one's a ten. <laughs> all right, fair enough. I. I would say that probably like an eight or a nine. Um, it, it, I mean, it's an incredibly comprehensive system. It literally, like, it literally has you know like a horse breeding mechanics. So if you if you oh want to just like buy a ranch and do horse breeding, you can do that. There is a whole system for like juries and trials but if because of course that's going to come up at some point there's a whole like cattle herding and rustling system um <laughs> there's all there's like m- tables upon tables of like what happens when a wound gets gets infected on on one of your limbs oh, um no. so like it is comprehensive uh playable not sure but comprehensive <laughs> yeah that game doesn't uh that game sounds uh <laughs> Like it would be an interesting read, but uh, combat probably like playing the game would probably take hours just yeah. to do like every simple thing. I mean, it's 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 sort of on par with another of my personal favorites. I don't know if you know Anima Beyond Fantasy. Anima Beyond Fantasy. It's it's this it's this tome of a like a fantasy role playing game that like runs on its own system. Um, I th- I think it's like a like a Euro game, but I I love it to death because it is. Again, a mess of rules. It is the only game I have seen where when you attack, you have to mentally add like three digit numbers together. And then to determine damage, you have to do long division for every single attack. It's like it's completely unworkable, but like, man, did a lot of detail go into it. Yeah, that one doesn't sound like my cup of tea, but uh... <laughs> <laughs> no, I I ran a single session. I'm just like we barely did anything because one combat took like four hours. God, that's kind of hilarious. I'm not gonna <laughs> lie. <laughs> oh, but uh, a little bit back on topic. So mm-hmm. when do you plan to uh, do your Kickstarter? We are going to be launching on October 3rd, and it's going to finish November 4th. And it's sort of like we're trying to because you know th- this game. I I mean I would. I guess I would classify it as a horror game. Um, so like, I, I think that hopefully we'll get a bit of a boost from it being spooky season. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, you know, it, it's also just lines up with other things I've got in my plate. So um, yeah, no, uh, crossing our fingers. I, we, we actually had an initial funding campaign in February, but we didn't actually make our initial funding goal because this is literally the first time I've, I've run a Kickstarter. So like yeah. I was starting from nothing and now I know a lot more than I did. So <laughs> Much more confident this time around. Well, you always got to start somewhere, right? Yep. Um. So you said earlier you're saying about beta testing and all that would actually be attached to the Kickstarter pledges. Yep. Do you have ideas for pledges already? Yeah, we um we I I think we're gonna be reworking them a bit, and I don't know if we got the final. We don't have finalization on the tiers yet, but um, kind of going on what we had last time, we definitely have some playtesting. Uh, the kind of like the big money uh, rewards are like if you want to, you know, like appear as like an NPC in the game, if you want to like, you know, design an Embergeist or something like that. Those are like the 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 big ones. Um, 
we would like to do like um, some posters of some of our art pieces. We would like to, uh, we would really like to do sort of like an additional adventure book of like, you know, pre-made adventures because we've got a lot of amazing writers, uh, guest writers on the team. So we really want to give them the chance to like, you know, like use their, use their skills to like come up with a lot of very cool different adventures that people can try out. That sounds pretty good. And uh, one last final question. Mm -hmm. Um, If you could give, especially since it it sounds like this is your first Kickstarter, well, Mm -hmm. your first Kickstarter, everything like that. uh, If you could give one bit of advice to somebody else who wants to start writing in the tabletop uh, sphere, Mm -hmm. whether it's their own game, their own uh, system, whatever it is, what would be the most important piece of advice that you would give them? Uh, I think as early as you can, figure out why like what it is you you want to be doing like so like you know i i think that a lot of people get into this uh, and get into this because you know they have really cool ideas that they want to share with people or they have mm-hmm. you know they they love they just love building systems uh that's certainly what i what i felt like and i think sort of like with any pretty much you know any like career that involves creative pro- a pr- creative process uh, at some point, you really have to ask yourself the important question, do I want to be doing this for money or do I want to be doing this because I love it? Those things can co-inflate, but if you're doing it for money, like there's going to be a ton of stuff you're doing that is not the fun stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, like marketing. I think that I am definitely a person who does not like marketing, but it has to happen. If you're going to like have a successful Kickstarter, if you're going to have... You know, people who actually are going to buy your stuff. Um, that takes a huge amount of time and energy. Um, just like a, being a producer, you know, like managing um, other team members, um, connecting, networking, stuff like that. That all takes a huge amount of time and skill. Oh, yeah. So I guess it's the kind of thing where, you know, I like, like, just like what I'm doing, I encourage anybody to try it and maybe find out that's because maybe that's the way you'll find out what it is you do like to do and what you don't like to do. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with just doing the parts that you like, even if it doesn't mean that, you know, you're going to be doing it for a living. Because I think, as everybody knows, one of the fastest ways to kill your love for something is try to do it for a living. Um, <laughs> but obviously, you know, I'm not going to say one way or another that's definitely going to happen or definitely not. But I guess the the core of their advice is, you know, be aware of that question and, and try to explore that question so that you can get your answer as quickly as you can and do as much of the thing that you want to be doing as you can. Very wise words there. I, I, I think... And I, I'm actually agreeing with you because uh, I've probably the biggest bit of advice I've gotten myself uh, outside of this podcast is, uh, and I I don't want to dissuade anyone because you know there you can definitely make money with this, mm-hmm. but the one bit of advice I got is don't do this if you want to make don't do this if you want to make money do this because you love it because if you're just mm-hmm. out there for money it's probably not going to happen. Yeah, there there are better ways to make money than this. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and like, and I know that almost sounds like negative, but it, it, like in truth, is like this hobby is built upon like passion projects, things that people love, people want to stories that people want to tell. In every single game, whether you're talking about the D and D one e 
all the way to the new ones like Morkborg and all that. They were all built around people who wanted to make a project because this is the story they wanted to make. And some of those, like some projects just go on to blow up to be everything. Hell, even I was talking with, um, uh, the CEO of, uh, free league. And he, he was telling me that he was blown away that they were actually able to do this full time. They never thought it would be a possibility, but yeah, if you're passionate about something, things tend to work out. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's like, if you're passionate about something, you're going to do it no matter what. Right. So, Mm -hmm. you know, you're not going to necessarily stop when, when, you know, you're not, you're not like seeing monetary results. You're just going to keep doing it because you love, love it. And at some point you'll have enough people paying attention to you that it's like, Oh, Hey, cool. (laughs) That's very true. Uh, but on that note, folks, I think that's all the time we have for today. Thank you very much. Nagi for coming down. This was absolutely a blast to do and i hope you had fun absolutely yeah no thank thank you for having me on it's been great all right and on that note folks uh i hope you have a good time and see you next week Bye bye